you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Sangram here. Welcome, go-to-market leaders. Have you heard about Inbound coming up again in 2021? There are over 70,000 global attendees that's going to come in for marketing, sales, and customer success. Should be fun. If you don't know Inbound, Inbound is hosted with love by HubSpot, and I'm again partnering up with them this year to share the love across the board. So if you want to grab your ticket, you are in the right in place. I have a code for you. It's called Future CMO. You get 15% off and you can register for uh, the LinkedIn conference. Again, the show notes, you'll have all the details. Go to inbound.com, register, use the code Future CMO. It is one of the best events that happen on the planet. Boom. Sangram here. How is everybody doing? I know it's not the regular time of 9 a.m. that we typically do because my good friend, Henry, he is going to be with us. Uh, it's going to be fantastic. So a couple of housekeeping, and then we'll just jump into this because I know there are like over 800 people who said they're going to be there. And then I know this goes to over 4,000 people throughout the week. So I'm just excited for people to listen to this. It's going to be a heartwarming story um, of amazing stuff. So again, we're going to interview Henry, who's the CEO of ZoomInfo. He built his company from a dorm room. And we're going to hear that story from zero to, and they went public, which is crazy in pandemic. So he's going to write a book on that, I feel like, one day uh, on that. And then we're going to have uh, next week, uh, we're going to, I'm going to interview Courtney, who runs content marketing for Inbound. Now, they have 20,000 people who come and attend Inbound. So I'm going to just ask her, like, how are they rechanging and, and making it virtual? And they have a completely new way of doing it, out of backstage access to it. So Courtney and I are going to talk about that. And then we are also going to have uh, with another good friend of mine, Susan. She's going to talk about what is the next level marketing looks like. What, what work can marketers actually do incredible work and get paid as freelancers? So Lots of things happening. Uh, there's a link there where you can subscribe to all the events coming in. So, as always, let me cue up a music, the walk-up music for Henry, as I bring him here. So, here we go. That's your song. <laughs> Actually, I want to keep that going. Actually, it's pretty good, man. All right, Henry, tell where is that song from and why you wanted me to play that. So, we Sangram asked me if I had a walk-up song. He asked me twice. He gave me an hour to figure it out. I had no answer, and then I came back and he told me the story about how uh, he would play the Rocky song for every deal at every deal. The first one hundred deals at Terminus. And I said, okay, well, the first few deals at uh, Discover Org, which became Zoom Info, I would always play the Cupid Shuffle. And then I would dance to the Cupid Shuffle in my law school uh, apartment um, on every deal that we sold. Uh, so that <laughs> man, was the Cupid Shuffle. Isn't that really cool when we, we, man, I remember and everybody got like, are you not tired of it? I'm like, no, we closed deals. How can we get tired of like listening yeah. to the song that actually helps us win more deals? So 
Dude, I'm so pumped to talk about it. So let me give you a couple of, couple of shout outs to folks like Amber joining in, Kaleem, Ray. Uh, there, there are hundreds of folks like just joining in right now. So thanks everybody for joining in. Henry, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute by giving you an intro, uh, which yeah. I know is the most embarrassing thing for anybody who's on the <laughs> other side, especially when you're looking at them. Uh, but we're going to talk about why did you go public during the pandemic? Like you had the, one of the largest IPO. It's insane. It's crazy. Uh, but there's a good reason for that. And I, I was watching your interview uh, out there on, on so many different places with Jim Cramer specifically. And it was fascinating, the story and the, some of the customer stories that you were sharing and like how people are changing their businesses and actually are having the best month or the best year uh, in some ways. So I think it's going to be very uplifting for a lot of people who are probably just jaded with all the negativity going on around that. So, um, so here's your embarrassing thing that I just wrote down and I'm going to read it. Okay. So first of all, uh, Henry, he, he actually started a company uh, called Discover Org and they acquired Zoom Info and now it's called uh, Zoom Info now. He started that out of his law school apartment. So we're going to go back to when you were 23 and like what made you do, and, and I, I read your story. If anybody hasn't done yet, go to Zoom Info and look at the founder letter by Henry. I was just reading it an hour ago. Man, it brought me to tears a little bit because you talked about your, your you know, single mother and how, you know, kind of she helped you kind of get, I mean, there are things that we don't talk about, but I, I think this is about being vulnerable and sharing some of those stories because a lot of us are struggling. A lot of us are trying to figure things out. So go and look at the founder story of like how Henry really got started with his thing. Uh, and now they have over 1,300 people in seven different offices across the globe. Um, you have close to what, 15,000 customers uh, supporting over 200,000 users across the, the go-to-market platform that you have. Um, you guys went public, your IPO, it, was it the largest software IPO in a decade? Is that right? The largest software IPO in a decade. Yes. The largest software IPO in a decade during pandemic. That's just insane. So, so think about that for a second. You guys have raised over a, 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 like almost a billion dollar with a market cap of 8.3. So all that to say is that somehow you, since 23 to now, you're like 25, like two more years, like to, to so many years, you have figured something out. You have, you have seen some leadership. You've gone through ups and downs, knowing you for years. You just had the same positive attitude about moving forward. So we're going to jump in some big questions and thoughts. But, dude, welcome and congrats on all the success. Thank you, Sangram. You, uh, you have a job as my hype man. Anytime <laughs> you would like, you just follow me around. And any people I meet, you do the intro. Dude, I'm happy to do it because you know what? We all need some hype person around us, right? Like, so for totally. me, it's my they're my hype people around me, like little, but like really big hype. So, yep. so let's just talk about this. What, like, you know, one, one of the questions and people please type in your questions. We'll just bring in as they come in, but I've also got a bunch of questions coming in. Tell anybody who doesn't know what Zoom Info does in your own words, uh, as you talked about the next customer. And I love the way you kind of shared that with uh, Jim Cramer. Tell everybody who's sleeping under the rock, like what Zoom, Zoom Info does. <laughs> And, and then we'll just jump into like some of the real meaty questions. Yeah. So Zoom Info is a go-to-market intelligence platform that helps sellers and marketers identify their next best customer, know how to reach them, and then know what to say when they reach them. And so we serve 200,000 sellers and marketers from everything from a pecan exporter in Georgia 
to 40% of the Fortune 100 uh, companies. Use Zoom Info every day to identify the next best company, identify the buyers of those companies, and know what to say when they reach them. Love it. We use Zoom Info Terminus in full disclosure. Love what you guys do. So it's super cool. Number one question that I've got from a lot of people, why go IPO during pandemic? Like, what's your story? What were you thinking? Yeah. How? So to be fair, like we didn't start the IPO process with the intention of IPOing in the middle of a pandemic. We just thought we were right. going to, you know, IPO. But we started uh, a little more than a year ago, sort of uh, figuring out what the IPO process was going to look like. Then going out and you do uh, you do a set of meetings. They either call them a non-deal roadshow or a testing the waters, where you go to mm. New York and San Francisco and Chicago and Toronto, and you meet with a bunch of different investors, public equity investors. You tell them the story of the company. You tell them why it's interesting, how it's growing, what your retention rates are, your growth rates, who your customers are, what's unique about the platform. You start building those relationships with them so that you can come back a year from then when you've written your S1 and you're ready to go public and you can go back to them on a real road show um, and they've already heard your story and they've gotten comfortable with you. So we were planning on going public. Um, we were planning on going public in March of this year, literally March 26 was going to be the day we IPO'd and, you know, March 13th or I guess March I want to say March 10th was the day that uh, we closed the borders to European travel. Um, and the whole world just kind of stopped in the middle of the pandemic. And the volatility of the stock market was crazy. And our bankers and advisors said, look, you can't take a company public right now. And so we said, okay, you know, let's, we took a step back. We focused on our business over the next few months and the business continued to perform through uh, through the next sort of the next eight weeks. And we said, look, the business is continuing to perform. The investors who we had talked to previously said, we'd love to see you on the public market. So we said, okay, well, someone's going to have, some software company is going to have to be the first company to go public um, in the middle of the pandemic. And we felt like, you know, not only was there this opportunity, but also what we do ended up being so impactful in the middle of the pandemic that we thought, hey, this is a platform where we can go out and we can tell stories of our clients who've shifted their business models and pivoted from, you know, literally from making office furniture. We have a client who made office furniture and pivoted to selling PPP, uh, PPE. Um, and they said, look, you know, we sell office furniture and now we sell PPE and we don't know hospitals. We don't know how many hospitals there are, who to sell to. Um, and we want to use the Zoom Info platform to do that. And we saw success story after success story after success story where companies were pivoting their businesses and they needed to find ways to identify new customers and new segments. And Zoom Info gave them the ability to do that. So we thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to go share that message in a time where like people needed to hear that there was, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. You know, when I hear that story and when I saw your interview with Jim Cramer, um, and, and I'm like, man, I know this guy, like, this is really cool to see it. Right. That, that was the first like real, like heartfelt reaction to it, but it also sent me, and I hopefully to a lot of people, a, a boost of energy that, you know, the world, whatever it is, the human spirit lives on, right. Things totally. still like businesses are actually doing. So 
I would love to hear a couple more stories because I think you shared a story of another company with Jim Cramer that was like really cool where they had like the yep. best numbers um, since they pivoted. And, and I think a lot of yeah. people are afraid to do that. This is an awesome story. It's a company called Tentcraft. And Tentcraft makes big tents for outdoor events. So if you go to the Taylor Swift concert, it's all the tents in the back or the vendor tents. And they built a great business based in Michigan. Great CEO, Matt, who's built a great business there. And then the pandemic hit, there's no events. Like literally every event on the face of the earth went away uh, for, you know, for as long as you can imagine. And he's making these tents and he has, you know, 40 employees and he doesn't know what to do. And he gets this idea that you could use these tents for outdoor COVID-19 testing. Hmm. Um, but same problem as the office furniture company, never sold to a hospital, doesn't know who the hospital buyers are, doesn't know how many hospitals there are in the United States, doesn't know how hospital systems work and how the hierarchy works. But he, he, he goes, he came to us. He was already a client of ours selling the, the tents to venues and event marketers. And he said, look, I need access to the hospitals and the healthcare data sets. So we gave him access. In the first week, he sold tents to a hospital in Texas, the next week to a hospital in New Jersey, then Pennsylvania. And in uh, so this would have been in May. They had the biggest revenue month in the history of the company. And there are two ways that this can like happen to you. One you could, the business could change, right? The pandemic hits and you go home to your wife and you go, you know, this great business that we built is not going to exist for a while because we make tents for events. And honey, there are no more events for us to like sell our tents to. Or you can be like Matt and be absolutely resilient and go like, what am I going to do? I have able hands and I have able bodies and I make a great product. Is there somewhere I can change the focus of my business to where I can still serve an, a, a need? Um, and then you need the tools to do that. Because the idea, like every business, yeah. you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. Yeah. Like you could, you could stop right there and go, well, that would be a good idea, except I don't know how to sell the hospitals. Right. Or you can continue to like press and press and press. And those guys pressed and pressed and pressed. And they said, okay, the next problem is how I sell the hospitals. I'm gonna solve that. What's my next problem? What's my next problem? What's my next problem? And they're always in a mode of solving these problems. We're just really thankful to be in a position to help them through you know, one of the small problems as they pivoted that business. I love that story, man. When you when you said that, I started looking up for them and, and, and I feel like there needs to be like, I don't know if you already have this hub or something like that, but there needs to be someone creating these transformation stories for people to totally. take inspiration from uh, and see what's going on, where where things are. So one of the questions we we have been getting um, on it, and I, I was sharing this with you earlier too, is like, hey, look, like let's just get to it. Some people say, well, isn't list buying and marketing like is that an issue? Is that like a bad thing and stuff? And I'm like, okay, well, let's uh, let I'm going to put you on spot and have you share your point of view because I know you do and you have a very good point of view and I've seen some of those uh, snippets before. So I want that to be head on. Like, how, how, do you, uh, how do you address that? So look, first of all, give me a break. This is the same thing that everybody has been saying for like 30 years. Right. You know, like, I mean, and I love HubSpot. I think HubSpot is a great company and it's focused on inbound. And I remember when we were, you know, a very small company, people would come to us and they go like, well, we're only focused on inbound. That's, that's the new way. We're just doing inbound. That's it. That's what we're focused on. 
And I'd be sitting there like, oh, maybe my business actually doesn't really work. Like I'm in the wrong space at the wrong time and everything's going to shift to inbound. And the truth of the matter is inbound hat is a very important part of your channel. You need a good inbound channel. We generate 15,000 leads at the top of the funnel every month. It's a critical component to our revenue strategy. And it makes up somewhere between 50 and 60% of the revenue, uh, new business revenue we bring in every month is from the inbound channel. But 40% of that revenue is from us going out and identifying the ideal customer profile and the ideal ideal buyer profile of those companies and getting those companies and buyers on the phone and telling them, look, we provide a platform that allows you to identify the right buyer and then do interruption marketing. Get in front of them with your product or your service. Tell them what you've been building. Tell them what your founder brought to life. Tell them what you have an engineering team slaving every day away to build. Tell them that you've built something of value for them because many of them are not just going to stumble on your website. Many of them, you know, Sangram, when you, when you founded Terminus, people didn't know that this product existed. And so they're not going to just go online and Google the ABM. No, you know, let let me also like fully support that because uh, what's interesting about that and as you putting it so passionately is that as the number one problem why businesses fail is because they don't know who they're going after, (laughs) right? Right, like they have like literally, you know, and if you just wait around and saying that every single one of your customers are just going to fly and find out automatically, it's really, so keep going, but I want to like support the idea that if you're in B2B specifically, having a list of clear target accounts, I, I don't think I can, like, you know, if ABM, it starts with that. Like, if you don't know the list Absolutely. of accounts, you're dead. You're out of business. Any business. I mean, if you, if you, if you kind of, like, take it down to, like, a business everybody understands. Imagine you're an accounting firm. Yeah. And you're a small accounting firm, a regional accounting firm. If you just are blindly calling Fortune 100 companies and being like, hello, I'm John CPA firm in Southwest Washington. Can I do work for you? That would not be a good use of your time. But at some point you get to feel like, look, my target companies are people within like Southwest Washington and Portland. Their business is between 10 and 100 employees. I need conversations with the CFOs, the treasurers, or the founders of those businesses. They're mm-hmm. most interested when I talk to them about tax savings or future financial planning or tax avoidance strategies. And if you have all of those, which you know, or you should know, or you should take the time to really understand about your business, you should go out to every one of those companies and every one of those CFOs and every one of those treasurers and tell them how you can help them. Um, and if you're not doing that, someone else is because someone else is going to earn that business and someone else is going to add value for those clients that you're not telling you can help. Um, and I actually, on this point, Sangram, I think a lot of this is just in our ears or in between our ears. We go like, Oh, people don't want to hear from me. Cold callings, uh, you know, annoying. I don't want to interrupt them. You know, this isn't how business is done. It's all by referrals. You're wrong. You're just wrong. Every major company in the world has a motion by which they call on their ideal customers and their ideal buyers. Plain and simple. Yeah. Every yeah. single major company. I'll, 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 I'll echo that in some ways is like, 
um, HubSpot, like you talk about, and HubSpot, HubSpot is an investor in Terminus as well. Like we, we love uh, what they do. They have, if people don't know, they have an unbound sales team. Like if people, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, Salesforce, I worked at Salesforce. They had a, they have a massive outbound sales team. And so when we hear, when I hear cold calling is dead or inbound is now here, inbound is dead because ABM is there. Like, no, no, no. These are all your channels. These are all, these are all channels. These are all channels. And as a matter of fact, I feel like here, here's something I'm curious to get your perspective on this, uh, Henry. Is I've been telling this for about like four years now that if you're actually doing ABM right, and, and that by that I mean that if your marketing and sales are aligned on the accounts that you want to go after, and you marketing is doing the right things of getting in front of them through advertising, through emails, and all those things, and sales is doing their job of getting in front of them through calls and uh, emails, cadences they're doing, you're actually going to see more inbound coming in from that. Of course you are. Of course you are. Of course you are. Of course you are. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So it's like it feeds each other. It's not at war with each other. And uh, I think people, we want to create, you said, we create this thing in our head of like, no, they're at war. You have to be in different camps. No, they, if you do it, you actually will get more money and get promoted. Like, how about that? Totally. Uh, totally. totally. So, one of the things that I've heard over and over uh, again is like, hey, look, marketing's role has changed. And as you, as a CEO, you're expecting different things from marketing now. So I'm, I'm curious to hear, like, hey, have, have you asked your marketing team to be different or act differently or focus on maybe different things four months ago versus like when all of these things started to happen. And, and, and classic example of that is every saying, well, you got to be very empathetic. You got to be like making sure that you're not overly salesy. You're making sure that you still have to have the numbers. One of the things you, you say all the time as an organization is to hitting your number. Like there's a whole culture around that in a very positive way. How do you, how, what are the new things that you're asking? What are the things that you're asking your CMO to do? Yeah. I mean, I think, First, um, you know, one of the one of the, the key things is how do we tell stories about how Zoom Info is a platform that actually helps you in the midst of the pandemic, and and actually that's not that hard of a story to tell if you think about how like typical enterprise software would be sold. People were like, you had hundreds of sales reps, thousands of sales reps in some companies out in the field, walking the hallways of big enterprises, shaking hands, trying to find the next deal or the next opportunity. The pandemic hits and all of that is gone. Like, what do you do now? You know, what do you do with these very expensive enterprise reps who are in the field, you know, five days of the week? Um, and so telling a story around how you pivot and transition your business in this time was something that, you know, we weren't particularly great at, um, but we were focused on like building a voice during this that talked about resiliency and business change and why it was important to, you know, take advantage of this moment to shift your business and digitize it, um, digitize the way that you're going to market. That was one, you know, one other way is like, we just kind of, um, uh, we know the industries and the industry keywords of every company that we're marketing to and every company that comes in inbound. And we just took a little different of, a, of an approach to the heavily affected industries. So hospitality and, and retail and transportation and logistics businesses, we took a different tact with. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, but the rest of the businesses, like, you know, we wanted to be empathetic, but we also think we have this really important voice that uh, people need to hear. And so we were still out there in the market, cold calling and, you know, cold emailing and, um, and doing campaigns outbound. Yeah. It, it, and I think it's, it's something I wanted you to share. And I'm glad you are so transparent about it that, hey, look, business is still on. It's not closed. It's still on. And it's running. Yeah. And, and you and your organization is a great example of that let's go on a personal side a little bit one of the things that uh, that i wanted to really hear from you um, your story um i think it's very uplifting it's very more it's, i think it's more relevant now in some ways i feel for people to hear than uh, than when when it's always good old days and everything is always amazing and all that stuff share um in your own way how did you start it uh, discover org which then became zoom info how what made you start the company and it, it, are there any parallels that you can share of like well is this a good time for somebody to start a business or do something entrepreneurial yeah so so i founded the company in uh my, my co-founder and i founded the company in 2007 um, I had worked at a similar company while I was in college uh, and left and went to law school. And after the first year, my co-founder and I put $25,000 on our credit cards and launched the business out of my law school dorm. Um, it was, you know, we were, we were turning the corner on uh, the financial crisis. And so that was right in front of us. Um, <clears throat> and I think what we, you know, first, because I had experience at another business that did something that was largely uh, the same, I knew like I could build a $5 million ARR business. Mm. Like I had seen it done. I was, I could just go, we could go do that together. Um, and so I moved all my law school classes to the evening. And so I took just, a, you know, the people at Ohio State won't love hearing this. But I took just a random assortment of classes. Like I took social science in the law, history in the law. Like if there was a class that fit between 3 p.m. and 11 p.m., that was the class I was taking. The subject matter didn't really matter that much. Um, and we just started building the business. And so like the early days was how do I build uh, an ideal customer profile? Who are my buyers? Who are the companies that I'm selling to? Um, and then how do I write a compelling message to get them to agree to take an appointment with, uh, with me or my co-founder? And we, so we, we launched the business in the first year. We did uh, $100,000 of, of subscription revenue. The next year we did 300,000. The next year we did 800,000. The next year we did um, $2.7 million. But along the way, you know, like every piece, I, I moved, I finished law school, I took the bar exam, I moved to Portland. I didn't have a penny to my name. Um, I was making $2,000 a month. Uh, that's what I was taking home. Most of my, of the people that we had hired were making more money than me. Um, and like, I think the biggest lesson I learned during that time is you just got to tell yourself the right story in your head. And so I just told myself the story that like, I'm building a great business. It may not be great right now, but it will be great soon. And what's the worst thing that could happen? If it doesn't go very well for me, I'll just go be a lawyer. But I have some time here where I can run this thing out. I can live off of twenty uh, off of $24,000 a year. And I'm going to run that story out. And it really becomes like a test of um, your will and your dedication. Like, can you just keep going and grinding when, you know, for me, all of my friends in law school had $165,000 a year jobs that 
large law firms. They were going out to steak dinners every night and, you know, buy, uh, buying nice houses and starting lives, you know, and I was uh, eating ramen in a small apartment in Portland. Um, and I, you just, I just had to drown that out the entire time. Um, and actually the IPO for what it's worth is incredible professional validation um, because it was of all the things kind of like the business got a lot of notoriety and, and I've had financial success up until now, but the IPO was a piece of professional success and validation that you don't otherwise get. Um, and so you could tell somebody I'm running a 1300 person private equity backed company. It's very different than I'm running a 1300 person publicly traded company. And so I'm pretty thankful for, for that, you know, that validation, but you know, there's so many times in, in the middle of those, in, in the growing years where, you know, you could have taken one of two paths. You could have said, look, good try. $2,000 a year is not going to work. I just go make $165,000 tomorrow. What am I doing? Yeah. Or you could go like, it's just not time yet. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah, I love that. Um, I remember uh, not quite to that extent, but uh, when I was left like part out in Salesforce, like, you know, making more money than than normally that people would make uh, at that time. And then I, I had the opportunity to join my amazing two co-founders at Terminus or actually make really good amount of money with the badge of like Salesforce on my back. Yeah, and, totally. And yeah, and my wife wasn't working at that time. We just had uh, uh, our baby, second second kid, like like two, I think six weeks old. And it's fascinating that when you tell the right story in your head, um, I, and I think you tell that over and over again, it, it's it's super massively important. So I'm glad you share that. Um, and and there are like lots of people, like literally, I'll just put some of the comments right here from from Jerry. Like you know, love love that that that's where you started. That's what's going on. Are there things that are parallel or in your mind for people right now? Because there are lots of people who don't have jobs. A lot of, lot of people right now, they're looking for new things to do. There are a lot, the, the things are obviously different than what we're in 2007 in terms of access to technology and all these different things. If you were to start that today, if you were in the same exact position right now, what, what would you think and do and, and see? So I would say, like, uh, I think one of the lucky things that we, we tripped into is we built the subscription business. Mm. Um, and so if you have an opportunity to build something on a subscription basis where you have a customer for a year and if you treat them well and you provide value for that year, they'll pay you again for the next year and the next year and you can build a book of business um, and continue to build upon that. I think that was like a, a very important part of how we built the business. And, yeah. um, and now, you know, cloud technologies are so available that you can deliver your product or your service through a browser. And so if you're building something of value, I would, and you're, and you're doing it in, even in a professional services sort of way. What I would say is like, you can start something in a professional services way, but be thinking about like, how do I wrap a, like, how do I wrap a software service, software as a service around this? deliver it on the web and build a subscription business with other people who look just like this client, that mm. is, uh, I think that's probably the best advice I can give. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like I, I remember 
the option to either go work for a services company or a software company that is a SaaS. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to work for services. It's just, it's just too hard now. At the same time, I think you would probably agree, and I'm sure that that's a good percentage of your business, uh, is you build a software company, and then you get actually a SaaS business that has a subscription, but then you can tack on services to it. That's a pretty lucrative yeah. side of business as that, that becomes. Totally. It drives renewal and loyalty. And like that's what in, and it, you, you embed yourself inside of a company's workflow and you're adding more value that way. Totally. All right. So two questions that I, I heard when I posted out um, and I shared with you that came out of like, well, number one, what's something that you have stopped doing after COVID? Like in the last four months, what's the one thing that you just stopped? So it's kind of a dumb one, but I stopped eating out. And so, but what does that mean for, for me? Uh, because I'm not going out, I'm cooking dinner with my wife every night or not every night, but three nights a week, um, which is very different. It gives us an opportunity to be together and my daughter's there. And um, so we can all eat together which has been a nice, you know, a nice change. And, and, you know, I, I get asked often about um, work-life balance. And I think like work-life balance is what you make of it. It doesn't mean you don't work at all and you're home all the time. It doesn't mean you work all the time and you're never home. Like the word balance in work-life balance is very important part of that phrase. And you set boundaries, right? Like for me, I will all, if I'm in town and I'm not traveling, I will always see my daughter before she goes to bed. So I'm not going to like, if I'm in town, I'm not going to do a dinner out like with somebody or get drinks and miss putting my daughter down. That's a piece of my balance. That's very important. And I will always see her in the morning before I go to work. That's a piece of my balance. That's really important. When I'm at work, you know, once I get to work, I am like working. I am not like, Amazon shopping or figuring out my car insurance or any of that other stuff. I'm just like, just working. My wife is like, basically like, she's like, Henry, I will never call you at work unless it's an emergency. So when my wife's calling me, I'm like, Oh God, what's going yeah. on. And so I'm I just very focused at work and that's part of my balance. And so the pandemic's given me, you know, a little bit more time at home. And, um, and so I'm appreciative of that. Dude, I, I love that. You know, one of the things that I started or, or stopped doing was like literally, no wait, because I started doing was on a Friday evening at 7 p.m. Unless it's the end of the month or end of the quarter, very different. Yeah. Yes. And stuff. It's different for those days. Uh, but unless it's the end of the month or end of the quarter, everybody in sales gets where we're going with that. Um, yeah. Friday evening, like 7 p.m. and after, I'll just switch off my phone until church on Sunday. And I share that because it's my yeah. problem. It was my problem. Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I just realized that being present just wasn't happening. Um, so it was really, really important that uh, that we do that. Oops, I think I lost Henry there for a second. I think did he just maybe he just switched off his phone as I was sharing that. Uh, but I think I'll give him a second to come back. And while while we're waiting for it, let me just share. Let's do a poll. How many active customers are in Zoom? And I see a whole bunch of people coming in. Uh, there you go. I thought, I thought you just switched off your phone as I tell you yeah. that story. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was like, great idea, Sangram. I'm going to start right now. <laughs> That's really cool. That's really cool. But while you're doing like, I'm just looking at people are doing poll of how many Zoom Info customers are there. And there are a ton of Zoom Info customers up there um, and opinions that I think you can see all, all the trail. 
around that. And, and people are like, you know, just commenting on all the different things that uh, that happen. Like, hey, hubby, starting cooking, I eat, LOL. I mean, those are those are good one. Um, talking about how much lunch and how much hard work contributed to your success. What do you say to that? I don't know how much lunch. Uh, oh, luck. He meant luck. Yeah, yeah, I think luck. Luck. yeah. Yeah, I see it. Uh, look, I think there's definitely there's. De- I mean, I just told the the story of like we started a subscription business. Like I could have just as easily done a professional services business, and I wouldn't have had the success. Uh, we wouldn't have had the success that we had. And so I do think that's luck. It's just happenstance that we decided to do this as a subscription business. And so along the way, there's a ton of luck. You know, I think we we um, we recruited talent at stages in our business where we didn't deserve that talent. Mm. Um, and like, th- I think that was lucky. Uh, so there's a definitely a big part of luck, but like, you know, I worked, you know, I worked, my team worked, our founding team worked their asses off and continue yeah. to do that. And it's like, luck is a nice thing, but it's not, it doesn't determine uh, success. It's necessary, but not sufficient. Oh, I like that, necessary, but not sufficient. All right, I'll give you this as a final question, then I'll wrap up with big ideas and a challenge that you can give for everybody. So what is, what is something that you started doing that you're like, you know what, that this is, this is really important for me now? So uh, I made sure that every morning I had time to myself because look, when you're in your house all day long and all night long, owning some piece of time for yourself where it feels a little bit different was important. So I, I, I worked, I, I called down time in the morning, every morning to work out, um, including IPO day, which IPO day started at 4.30 in the morning, my time. So I woke up at 2 a.m. and I got a Peloton uh, ride in because I wanted to like own that part of my morning and I wanted to be completely in control of that. The rest of my schedule would be dictated by what it is. Um, but so, you know, I own them the morning. I love that, man. I think a lot of people, I think hopefully people are getting cues out of it. It's like, there's only so much you can control. And now you're talking about someone who's like a, just became the first company, the biggest IPO in the decade. You have so many things going on. You could say, well, yeah, like I need to be doing all these things, but you started owning that time for yourself is so important. And I'm realizing that because you're working from home right now, you really like, I'm literally, as soon as this is done, my kids are knocking at the door and I'm going to be like, yep. there's no time in between like yes. this and that. 100%. So you don't you, even get the drive. You don't get the drive, right? The drive is important, right? The drive home where you sort of come down from the day. It's the barrier between work and home. You yeah. don't even get that. You're like, I don't want to drive again another hour for sure, but I'll take a ride around the road. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, that's right. That means that. Yep. All right. So big ideas, a lot of engagement. You can see like people are like, like lots of love. So if you ever get a chance, Henry, of your team, like you might want to respond to some of these comments on live. I'll send you the link later. But here, I would love to do that. Yeah. And, and hit people. People hit them up. Like I think he's, he's really good if, if there's something and they, he's always open for ideas and conversation. So Number one thing I took away, and a bunch of notes, um, and, and I'm going to put this, uh, I have a lot of people here are also part of like Amber and, and others. They're part of this private group that I have of marketers um, and leaders. So if you want to be part of that group, just just DM me and, and we're going to deconstruct. Like that's what we do is like, I love doing this. And then we'll deconstruct in the private group and, and, and learn and implement something. So, so implement something, right? So number one thing, the story that you tell yourself is the story that's probably going to play for you. Mm-hmm. 
And I love that. I wrote it down. I underlined it. I put asterisks. I'm going to, I'm going to try to keep it. I have a lot of sticky notes that I try to keep up with. You got to tell the right story for yourself. And I want to just bring up one point as, as you were telling, telling this, I was hearing some people talk about, look, you may, you may have a bite and I'm going to go off the rails over here. So forgive me for that, but you may have a, a really bad job. You may have a really bad childhood. You may have like all kinds of issues, but it really doesn't, if, if you keep telling that story to yourself, you become a victim very quickly. And I think in your case, man, like you started with like, well, look, this is what I got to do. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to keep telling the story in spite. I see my friends having bigger houses and BMWs and all that stuff. I'm playing the long game here. I think that's the story you told. So thank you for sharing that. And I think it's a big takeaway for me, a big reminder for me, and hopefully a big takeaway for other folks to, to go as well. Second, second big idea is nothing is dead. Like all the things that are on inbound debt or outbound debt or like nothing is dead. They all complement each other. We all will be better marketers, sales, and leaders in the organization if we realize that outbound, better outbound drives inbound. A better inbound engine creates brand. Brand drives demand. Like you just start adding these, stacking these up. That's how you actually build a real business. So I'm glad you went out front and let me just ask you the question straight up and you were very transparent about what works and what not. Um, and the last is, if you are right now trying to build a business, try building a business that is subscription-based. Like I think none of us could, like in this uh, day and age, there's a really, like, like 10 years ago when you started or eight, 13 years ago when you started your business, that wasn't as much of a normal thing like Salesforce and some other companies did. But now, like... You have all the tools and technologies to start building a SaaS business and people expect you to have it. And it's an e it's something that will allow you to build a lot bigger of a business. So I love that. And lastly, I'm just saying this because thank you for going public during the pandemic and showing that there is better and good things happening and not just all the negative things that are happening. So you being on this show, you being on Jim Cramer's show and sharing that good news, I think goes a long way and inspires a ton of people. So Henry, I'm super grateful for that. Thank you, Zagreb. Thank you for having me. It's always great to connect with you and your audience. Awesome, man. All right. I'll let you go with one challenge you give to everybody. Like, this is one thing they need to do in their life or in their day that will, that will have impact for them. So let me give two, since you gave one already, and I don't want to repeat it, but tell yourself the right story. So, you know, it's not 100% that that story is going to come to life, but it's 100% that it won't if you're not telling yourself the right story. Um, and the other thing that I would say is improve every day. Like who you are today, the professional you are today is almost certainly not good enough to be the professional you want to be a year from now. And so you know the things you're not good at. I do. I know the things I'm not good at. I know the things that I'm good at. And I need to come in every day and know that I need to be getting better at the things that I'm not very good at today. Otherwise, a year from now, I will not be as good as I need to be to run this company um, or do what for you guys, for whatever it is um, to be a good enough marketer, a good enough salesperson, a good enough CEO, good enough CFO. There are things, you know, you're not great at seek those things out and then go conquer them every day. Get a little bit better at them every day. Love that. I mean, it's so funny. You literally took the words like the, the, the community that I was talking about where we deconstruct these things. It's like we call it like getting one person better every week. Like one percent better, like you don't need, and, and the compounding effect, it's like uh, Tim Kopp, who's our uh, CEO of uh, 
of terminus, he would say like, that's like the eighth wonder of the world, the compound impact. Like if you understand the compounding that can happen, if you really just become 1% one, it's easy to understand and it's easy to get there. But if you do it consistently, it's phenomenal. Dude, that's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and thanks everybody for jumping in. Uh, we'll see you next week uh, with another live. Thanks, Henry. Thanks, Ingram. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.